The following message was recorded during the Friends of Israel 2011 National Prophecy Conference season. These meetings were held in Winona Lake, Indiana and Lancaster, Pennsylvania. For more audio resources from the Friends of Israel, visit us at foi.org. Well, I want to speak to you uh, this hour about Jerusalem uh, at the center. Every trip to Israel is a marvelous experience. Uh, One of the first stops we make is at Caesarea Maritime. It's the place at which the gospel began to transfer from the Jewish people who were the gospel, Jesus Jewish, um, began to transfer to the Gentile world. And it was at Caesarea Maritime that Peter preached the gospel. Peter, Jewish, preached the gospel to Cornelius and his family. And it began to take hold. And we see there and are able to tell the story of the transfer from Jewish hands to Gentile hands of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, lots of things happen on a trip to Israel. Uh, we, uh, we love it in the Galilee, in the north, the Sea of Galilee, and we're on the Sea of Galilee in a boat, and we're thinking of all these wonderful things that happen both on the sea and around that northern rim of the Sea of Galilee in terms of Jesus' ministry there in the north. Uh, We do review the security situation with Lebanon, with Syria, the Golan Heights, and all of those things. And there are very significant sites in Israel that that you know well about. Even if you haven't been to Israel, you've seen them, you've uh, been aware of them. And yet sometimes it's the little things in Israel that just are life-impacting. And I think about my first trip to Israel, how to me... There, there, there were no concession stands, no admission fees. There was no anything, but the Valley of Elah was there. That's where David slew Goliath. And, and there it is. It's not far, actually, off of the road between Tel Aviv and Jerusalem. And we went there, and of course, I'm trying to get some smooth stones, you know, take home to the kids. But it impacted my life, and it was, it was nothing organized about it. It was just, this is the Valley of Elah. It's biblical. It really happened, and it happened right here. Then we go up to Jerusalem, and we build our trip with the Friends of Israel in such a way that it builds, and Jerusalem is the highlight, and it really is. And, um, and this message is entitled, Jerusalem at the Center, Thus says the Lord God in Ezekiel 5.5, This is Jerusalem. I have set her in the midst of the nations and countries all around her. It's true. In the Bible, Jerusalem is the center of the earth, of the nations of the world geographically. References to directions in the Bible. To go to the north is to go to the north of Jerusalem. To go to the uh, east is to go to the east of Jerusalem. To go to the south is to go to the south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem, And west is west of Jerusalem and so on. I found it interesting as I was doing some research on this whole concept of Israel at the center. And you see here uh, this particular image uh, that came up which is a 
it predates modern maps of the world, okay? This is a pre-modern map in terms of the world, and, um, and guess what? On this map, get my little pointer going here, Jerusalem is the center. That's how it's depicted. Can't see the words, I can see it here on my screen. Uh, probably you cannot. Up to the left, Europe. To the right, Asia. Down this way, Africa, to the south. And there we have it, Jerusalem as the center of the earth in this particular mapping project. Well, there's another famous woodcut that I wanted to show you, and there it is again. This woodcut was done by a Heinrich Bunting in the year 1581. He called it his Navel of the World woodcut. It actually is a reflection of the text of Ezekiel 5.5 about Israel at the center of the nations. Uh, he was a map maker in Germany, uh, a professor of theology, and he was expressing in his terms on this woodcut the navel of the world and that Jerusalem is right there in the center. Fascinating, for sure. Uh, back to the concept of Israel at the geographical center of the world. I turn my attention to one of the uh, wonderful creation-related uh, ministries. Um, you know, we are, at Friends of Israel, we're kind of on the prophetic end, the futurist end of things, where we know the importance of taking the Bible literally when it comes to prophecy. God's promises to Israel, to the Jewish people, to the church, and on and on and on. We understand that. And we are so grateful for other organizations that the Lord has called to understand the Bible literally, of course, too, when it comes to origins, the beginnings. And so there's answers in Genesis. There's a creation um, uh, museum that's not far from here. Uh, there are other organizations. And I turn my attention to a project done by the Institute for Creation Research, which is the Henry Morris, deceased, but his son, sons plural, I guess, uh, group, they put their researchers to a very interesting task, I found, and um, they took the command of the, to the descendants of Noah, and that would be Genesis 9-1. And they looked at that text. So God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And where were they filling the earth from? They were filling the earth from off the ark, Mount Ararat in Turkey. Okay, fill the earth. Um, and they considered the Genesis 9-1 text with the Ezekiel 5-5 text that I just read to you about the Lord's God saying, Jerusalem, I've set her in the midst of the nations and the countries all about her. And they wondered if there was any relationship between the biblical geographic center of the world, Jerusalem, and the dispersion center of the world. Noah, his family, populate the world beginning with the ark, beginning in Turkey, Mount Ararat. And uh, 
in doing their research, they noted that 70% of the world's surface was water. Not really nations, it's water, more than nations. And so they took the remaining 30% inhabited Earth, nations of the world, which come across, if you take all the water out, it's an odd shapes, you know, it's an odd shaped collection of, of continents, islands, countries, and all of the rest. And they applied the technology that they could to that, divided up all those areas into tiny little bits, and then began complex computer-driven computations by which every area was tested against every other area, and it finally, there were just thousands, probably tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of computations, but it finally came down to what they could in, in terms of assumptions they made and their best estimate as to what point in the Earth is uh, closest, the, the closest point to the most other points, to the rest of the countries, the rest of the inhabited Earth. And the result of their computations, again, it's not going to be exact, but it's, it, it reveals something very interesting because the result was they came to a point in nearby to Israel, in Turkey, that they said was the point that was closest to the most other, the rest of the land areas. Actually, there was a point in the South Pacific that was the furthest from everything else. But if there's a central place among the nations of the world, the point came up in Turkey, and interestingly enough, it was the same latitude as Mount Ararat and the same longitude as Jerusalem. An amazing thing. Now, we don't believe the Bible because it's proved by science or technology. Uh, we, we believe the Bible because God gave us the Bible. And we believe the Bible first, that's for sure. And then we watch true science, true technology, we watch them catch up, catch up to the Bible. Because the Bible was God-given, it was not given with error, it came from God himself. So it's fascinating then that here in terms of such computations, um, they came very, very close to affirming from their perspective, humanly driven, technology driven, uh, science very, very close to the biblical truth. Uh, <clears throat> now, two biblical truths populate the world from, Ar uh, from Mount Ararat and Jerusalem, the center uh, of the nations. There was another map here I discovered. Um, I don't know if it's a map so much as a, uh, a collection of what is called values. It was done by a professor at the University of Michigan. It's highly suspect, therefore. Professor Engelmart. He studied 81 societies, 85% of the world's population from the years 1981 to 2002, so it's a fairly recent study. He, he did a, a vertical axis on which he plotted the nations of the world based upon their religious values, and then he did a horizontal axis, and he determined what, in his estimation, were quality of life values, and uh, he went on the horizontal axis that way. 
and he plotted the nations of the world. And as he did that, lo and behold, virtually in the middle of all of this plotting comes up Israel. Interesting. Right smack in the middle. Now, that I find a curiosity. Uh, I I don't place any weight in that other than to see uh, what uh, someone in the academic world uh, thinks of Israel being very centrist in terms of religious values and in terms of um, uh, quality of life values. Now, much of Jerusalem's importance rests in the fact that it is, in fact, the spiritual center of the world. So spiritually, that is Roman numeral two in the notes, Jerusalem is the faith center of the world. In fact, its very existence today does not make sense apart from the power of God. When you think about the history in terms of all of the things that have happened to Jerusalem over the centuries and over the millennia, the plundering, the destruction, the crusades, the uh, the wipe out the population, the worldwide dispersion of the Jewish people, and on and on and on, all the things that happened. Jerusalem doesn't make sense to be a vital city today, apart from the power of God. I think its very existence is testimony to God's promises. Ezekiel chapter 16 is a very long chapter of 63 verses It is all about Jerusalem. But listen to verse 8. Yes, I swore an oath to you and and, and entered into a covenant with you. The you is Jerusalem. God speaking. And, And you became mine, says the Lord God. Jerusalem, in fact, is the salvation center of the world. John chapter 4, verse 22, Jesus said, Salvation is of the Jews, and Jerusalem is where our Jewish Messiah, our Savior, the Lord Jesus, died and rose again. It is the focus of his plan of salvation. And so Jerusalem is, yes, it's the Mount of Olives, it's the Garden of Gethsemane, it's Jesus' Palm Sunday walk, it is his uh, entry into Jerusalem. It's the way of the cross. It's the empty tomb. It's his ascension into heaven. In fact, on that last point, when we're in Jerusalem together, I love reading Acts chapter 1, which I certainly want to do here. Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. Here in Jerusalem, now, when he had spoken these things, While they watched, while his disciples watched, this is post, uh, um, you know, post-resurrection from the dead, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight, his ascension into heaven. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, who also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner, like manner physically, bodily, as you have seen him go into heaven. And so here in Jerusalem is, as the faith center of the world, is an unmistakable connection between earth and heaven, between God and man. And when you're in Jerusalem, you know it. 
You know it, particularly with a background of um, knowledge of the Bible. Well, geographically, Jerusalem is a land center of the, of the world. Spiritually, it's a faith center of the world. Prophetically, there are two issues. And the first issue is this. Jerusalem is the storm center of the world. Um, wow. The name doesn't mean storm. Jerusalem, Shalom, Salem, it means peace. It has been anything but the peace center of the world. It's almost Jerusalem of pieces, literally, over the years and over the millennia because of all the tremendous wars and things and plunderings and all the things uh, that have uh, happened. I want to show you, ah, it's up there, of course. This is Jerusalem with lines on it that are 67, 19, six, prior to 1967. The lines represented here, and we'll try to see if you can follow that. Do you follow that pointer on your, down around there? That line represents how Jerusalem was divided from 1949 to 1967. And this part, Jews allowed. The rest of it, from north, no Jews allowed. Controlled by Jordan. Places like Mount Scopus, French Hill, no Jews allowed. The old city, the Jewish quarter, the western wall, no Jews allowed. Down through here, all the way over to Gilo, no Jews allowed. Until 1967, when Israel came and um, there, were, there were three Arab armies out to destroy Israel, um, and which Israel prevailed once again. Israel will always prevail because Israel is God's possession. Uh, Israel prevailed again, but the barriers represented here, which were barbed wire and walls and all kinds of rubble and destruction, all these areas that where Jews were not allowed when they were driven out in 1948-49. Uh, synagogues destroyed, Jewish sites destroyed, all throughout here was rubble. It was a terrible thing. Uh, it was Israel chopped up, Jerusalem chopped up. By the way, that same line is the 67 line that President Obama referred to. and We have to keep that kind of thing in mind. I, really, I realize he said land swaps. Look, he made that the starting point. The land swaps was an add-on. So, Israel came in 1967, and here's Jerusalem today. We're looking from the Mount of Olives. Uh, we're looking down on the Dome of the Rock. By the way, Israel could have taken control of all of that, uh, they made a decision to allow the uh, Muslim religious authorities to control the Temple Mount where the Dome of the Rock stands. And of course the view here is more than simply the, the Temple Mount, the Dome of the Rock. It's missing uh, a mosque that's on the left there, Alaska Mosque. Um, behind the walls here, the western wall is halfway in the distance facing back this way. New city of Jerusalem looking up there, the hotel at the top 
the largest structure in, uh, in Jerusalem is the Crown uh, Plaza. And they flip hands so many times, I, I believe it is still the Crown Plaza Hotel. So when Israel came, changed the division of Jerusalem so that Jerusalem now is open for everybody to go everywhere. Muslims, Jews, religious, non-religious, Christians, we love Jerusalem. It's a beautiful city. There's a golden glow to it. Frequently, we'll be up here on the Mount of Olives, and we'll take our group picture and look down. But do we get it? Do we realize that as we sit here through this conference and study prophecy, we are living in the times of the greatest fulfillment of biblical prophecy since the resurrection of Jesus Christ? The regathering of the Jewish people. You heard it from Colonel Gruber the other night, two years ago. The largest Jewish population is no longer the United States, it's Israel. The regathering of the Jewish people, the um, uh, reunification, actually the rebirth of the state of Israel, 1948, huge, huge fulfilled biblical prophecy. The reclaiming of Jerusalem in 1967. Look, there's a lot more to go. Genesis chapter 15 gives God's land grant to the Jewish people, and they have only a relatively small portion of that, of that larger area. That's not something we worry about. The Lord takes care of that. That's our profile there. But why should Jerusalem be a storm center of the world prophetically? It shouldn't be. It shouldn't be. But it is. And it is because it's satanic. It is because it is God's war. It is Satan's war against God's people. God's people under attack by Satan and his emissaries. And so even today, uh, people, world leaders, uh, oppose the destiny of Jerusalem. And uh, there's just many illustrations that we have uh, of the United Nations trying to deny a Jewish Jerusalem trying to demonize Israel. Um, right now, there are moves underway in the United Nations to declare Jerusalem not a Jewish city, not controlled by Israel, but to make it an international city. Oh, we'll bring in observers and UN people and we'll blah, blah. Tell me about that in southern Lebanon or Gaza where they were kicked out. Um, illustration two is President Obama of war over Jerusalem. There are parts of Jerusalem owned by Orthodox Jews, building by Orthodox Jews, land they own that President Obama earlier said they shouldn't live there. That could be the capital of a future Palestinian state. It would be bizarre, and it would be realized as bizarre, even racist, if, in fact, the media of the world and, uh, doesn't line up with that kind of thinking, and they do. And that's what we're up against. That's what Israel is up against. Well, Jerusalem, storm center of the world, and future prophetically, Zechariah chapter 12 really says what will happen to those nations. In verse 3, We've worked around these texts through the whole conference. It's wonderful. And it shall happen in a day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples. All who would heave it away will surely be cut in pieces. 
though all nations of the earth are gathered against it. That's Jerusalem. And then verses 8 and 9, God's judgment. In that day, the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And so on. Verse 9, it shall be in that day that I will seek to destroy all nations that come up against Jerusalem. So finally, God's judgment upon Jerusalem. And finally, Jerusalem, as the storm center of the world, becomes the promise center of the world. You know, just going back in Scripture, as early as Genesis chapter 22, we can sense the importance of Jerusalem. There in Genesis chapter 22, uh, God is testing Abraham. He is offering uh, a binding Isaac. We know the story. Um, but we also know that the account ends with the, the naming of that area as a God of promise. Uh, Abraham said, the Lord will provide. That's Mount Moriah, the Temple Mount. It's the Lord will provide is the label attached to that area. And we look and we say, provide God did. <laughs> he provided in terms of the ram right then, sparing Isaac's life. But he provided the Lord Jesus in Jerusalem, the Son of God. Uh, Zechariah 1.14 says, I am jealous for Jerusalem. He was jealous for Jerusalem by delivering uh, Jerusalem, by saving its people, by coming again to Jerusalem. It's all prophetic to reign over all of the earth. And that's Zechariah chapter 14. And so the world's future is wrapped up together with the city of Jerusalem. And really, our destiny as believers hangs on the city of Jerusalem as well. Because our most dramatic moment prophetically into the future is yet to come. Our most dramatic moment as believers will be as we return with the Lord, having been raptured earlier, as we return to Jerusalem from heaven with our Savior, and we return to an Israel that is fully restored spiritually, and an Israel that is fully restored in terms of geography and landmass, so politically as well. So Israel, when we return in that very dramatic moment with the Lord at the end of the tribulation period, fully restored geographically, uh, politically, uh, and spiritually, most importantly. I love Isaiah. Uh, there's just a tremendous promise in chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. So ties into who and what we are. So ties into the promises God has made for us, um, our future, and it's very Jerusalem-oriented. Uh, Isaiah 2.2 2 and 3, Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations to fl shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God, of the God of Jacob, and, and he will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem." 
This October, we will be in Jerusalem with our Up to Jerusalem trip Saturday morning when the believers worship in the churches and assemblies. We will be at the Jerusalem assembly with Menno and Anak Kalisher, with Svi Kalisher, uh, with the wonderful group of hundreds of believers there. We'll be there. We will um, we'll leave. We'll get back on the bus. And when, when, when we get back on the bus, I go right to this text. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. We know because of ministries like the Jerusalem Assembly that the word of the Lord is going forth from Jerusalem today in a small way relative to the future. Relative to the future with the nation saved, the nation proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Well, we have, um, we've seen Jerusalem a little bit this morning. I hope you've been able to get uh, a glimpse of it. Geographically, the land center of the world. Spiritually, the faith center of the world. And prophetically, the storm center of the world becomes the promise center of the world. And I think by understanding those things, we understand better the Lord's injunction in Psalm 122, verse 6. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. Our Father, this morning we take seriously your injunction to us and we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. As we pray for the peace of Jerusalem, we praise your name, Father, that ministries like the Jerusalem Assembly today are holding forth the word of the Lord from Jerusalem, and not only in Jerusalem, but in Israel and, and around the world as literally they have sent forth missionaries from that assembly of believers. And we praise your name for that. We also, Father, look with great expectation forward to the tremendous prophetic event uh, where brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ return to earth to reign and rule with our Savior in a day when the word of the Lord goes forth from Jerusalem to all the world, to the uttermost parts of the world. Father, these great prophetic truths, may they not simply touch our hearts, but, and we want them to do that, but they, may they motivate us to be centers of influence and faith and truth and light to the people around us as we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen.